Well, good evening, Mansway. Bob Dillon, Dillon tells us a hard rain is going to fall, and I think he's a little behind. But um, we are here on what I've been describing as like the coldest possible church weather day, you know, like three degrees, and we probably wouldn't be here. So thank you for braving the cold, 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 cold rain to be here with us tonight. We're in the second week of Epiphany. Um, and gathering, as we did last week, around that season of revelation, of things being uncovered, of noticing and revealing, and talking throughout this Epiphany season around Jesus texts from the Epiphany lectionary and kinship and where we find those things coming together. So we have, uh, because t today's text is the baptism text, of Jesus from Luke, we've got these two reflections on water. First from Anne Lamott, Christianity is about water. Everyone who thirsteth come ye to the waters. It's about baptism for God's sake. It's about full immersion, about falling into something elemental and wet. Most of what we do in the worldly life is geared toward our staying dry, looking good, not going under. But in baptism, in lakes, and rain and tanks and fonts, you agree to do something that's a little sloppy because at the same time it's also holy and absurd. It's about surrender, giving in to all those things we can't control. It's a willingness to let go of the balance and decorum and get drenched. And in a more terse um, intersection of Christianity and water, do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you, our farmer friend Wendell. Uh, last, last week we were community songing on light, uh, but the kids have, have not changed directions, but they're sort of shifted an emphasis in this epiphany season to Trinity, and Rhody is going to... Uh, So Rhody's going to explain all the ins and outs of the Trinity in four weeks upstairs with the kids. Yeah, she told me I was welcome. I told her I'd give her all my 30 seconds and then I'd come back down, you know. But you, if you want to join the kids one of these four weeks, I'm really interested to hear how this goes because... Woo, okay. But along with that, um, Rhody, I don't, did, you tune, did you tweak this or did you find this? this uh, uh, Millbrook Baptist Church uses this in Raleigh and it is a version that I really love and so this is what... Lead us in this yeah. doxology. So it's just a doxology, so y'all just sing along. But it's gender inclusive. And Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God all creatures here below. If you grew up with that tune setting of the doxology, that was like your doxology tune, raise your hand. Okay, and anybody who it was a totally different tune that was the doxology to you, 
I knew it. I knew it would be like roughly split. Okay. That establishes everything I understand about hymnody. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, you're not saying for this question, right? You, okay. All right. Go forth. Yeah, the Trinity. Yeah. Every minute counts when it comes to the Trinity. All right. So, whatever doxology tune centered your childhood, you are most welcome here. Um, I think, yeah, maybe we have a couple of announcements. One, I'm going to rescind an announcement I made last week about music in the basement this month. Um, we had really intended to continue with that on MLK Monday evening and sort of retune that event around that theme. But our jazz leader, musician, Ernest, actually said, there's like this music musical MLK celebration the previous night that a bunch of folks I know are engaged in. And there's actually, in Durham, there's probably about half a dozen like really significant sort of through that weekend events. One of them is at Mount Level Missionary Baptist at 6 p.m. that evening. We've had some Mount Level people actually come to this music in the basement. So it's like, what are we, what are we trying to do with our lone competing events? So would really encourage you to, if you're looking for a place to go to celebrate MLK musically or otherwise, they're out there, um, but are sort of sending folks that direction as opposed to duplicating our own thing this month. We'll be back at it on the th third Monday of February, but yeah, we decided to go a different way for that. Uh, what else have we got, Molly? Announcement-wise, is that, no? no? No, that's all. Oh, okay. Anyone else? Something happening that you, wanna, you want people to know about? You just had a good idea for an event and you want to get advanced, like get started on promoting it. It could be that. Um, we should mention that the table groups are yes. starting back up uh, for the season. We've tried to um, take everybody who's around and make sure that they're getting an invitation to a table group. But if you don't hear from somebody in the next, if you haven't heard from somebody, in the next week or so. In the next yeah. week or so, then let us know and we'll make sure you get an invitation. And then maybe new year, uh, new series, an announcement for Pup Group. So, so Pup Group, I think, is going to take on a podcast, which to my knowledge we've never done, uh, at least at length. Um, over like Joel's, you know, opposition. I think we're gonna take on the Slow Burn podcast, the second season thereof, which focuses heavily on the Clinton-Lewinsky um, debacle in the 90s. Um, and yeah, I think that I've actually listened to this recently. Some folks had, some folks hadn't, but we're kind of excited to dig into that conversation and all the manifold ways that that situation 20 odd years ago seems to map so directly. One, one that like, for those of us who'd listened at Pub Group in Hatton, it was like no one who hadn't listened to this realized that actually the Lewinsky-Clinton affair started during a government shutdown. So, so it's, it's very appropriate to our, to our time, and we're going to be taking, yeah, the next couple months to listen to that episode by episode. And again, Pub Group is a group that meets on Thursday night. Um, there's, you know, maybe about 10 or 12 sort of regulars we see pretty often, but then there's like a bigger community. SK chimed in this week 
to you know throw in her suggestion saying I'm probably gonna be there on Thursday but I would really love to do X so consider that sort of a broad conversation that's going on in our community around sub substantive piece of media and so yeah that's what we're up to the next couple of months yeah and it does happen on Thursday nights at the uh, federal down downtown on Main Street uh, usually in the back room uh, we got start gathering around 815 830 so yeah anybody else well, in that case, I'll turn with trying to take this on as a regular practice. Um, started this during Advent of having just a question that's tuned to our sort of broad conversation within this series. In Advent, we were reflecting on darkness. Um, here in Epiphany, we're taking on Jesus' text, but with this lens of kinship. Um, within a year that we've dedicated ourselves to thinking about bearing witness and reclaiming kinship. And so we've been asking, this will be the second week. Just to ask you, as you're coming in, what you're bringing with you, where has kinship been revealed to you as a life-giving light in the past week? Something big, something small, um, yeah, that you're bringing in your mind, heart with you in relation to kinship. So Phil and I have some friends over the last time in September, and they're going through a very similar thing with their child as we went through with our child, and it was really, they were like, you could be talking about that. You could be talking about that. And then it just, they kept saying that over and over and thinking it was really, yeah, and then our shopping men and themselves. And yeah. it was lovely just to see like this, you know, in two years, you know, you can be past this maybe. Yeah. And, and everyone could be here. Yeah. We started calling that the cloud, you know, but it existed before that, right? Like the, or the finding someone else, right? And you're precise, sort of, yeah. This exists. Someone else. I, uh, I went to a funeral yesterday. There's someone I didn't know incredibly well, but didn't know uh, professionally. Mm -hmm. And others at work knew better. And so um, to see the kinship that she fostered mm -hmm. and uh, the way people grabbed for her um, was just uh, something I literally bore witness to. Like I, mm -hmm. I had very little part in it, hand in it. Um, really, could only just show up. great aunt, my mom's favorite aunt, found out a week ago that she had cancer in 90% of her body. They had no idea, and so her daughter takes her home, and last Sunday, they had over 120 people come over to her house to say goodbye. Um, and she passed on Tuesday. And I just keep thinking about this woman's life who rooted herself in Clovis, New Mexico for 40 years. And that at 85, there were still over 100 people that wanted to come and say what her life meant to them. And yeah, that just feels like powerful kinship, and kinship also as rooted in place. That what, um, yeah, it's not always fun to be the one to stay, but the power that can come in staying and in rooting in a place. 
near, far, close, expected, unexpected, kinship finds a way to reach out and grab us. And we're going to follow that a little deeper tonight and a little closer to this text uh, with some songs of prep from our own Neil, who's ensnared his bandmate Peter, and they've been sounding fantastic warming up. I'm excited to have Neil back and... Yeah, with one, this is a trio, right? So you, you now you've got two thirds. So next time, it's going to be all three thirds. Okay. Yeah, glad to be back. Um, all right, well, this first song is a, is a hymn out of, the, uh, it's a classic hymn. Uh, I pulled it from the Episcopal hymn book, um, and then I totally bastardized the hymn, the melody. Um, so I don't know, does anyone know this hymn? I didn't. It's an epiphany hymn from the epiphany section of the hymnal. Um, so I, uh, since it, since it uh, well, I'll sing through it. I'll, let me sing through the, uh, the first stanza one time just to get the tune in your ear if you want to sing along. Christ went for us, you were baptized. God's Spirit on you came As peaceful as a dove And yet as urgent as a flame So that's it, if you want to sing along.
so this is a Randy Newman song that does not sound like Randy Newman, since I thought that would be foolish to try to do that. Uh, um, but it's got kind of a, um, the, the last two lines, Ben and I were reflecting on the human kindness is overflowing, and I think it's going to rain today is really hopeful. song, which if you if you were like me and you only listened to Iron Wine back in like, you know, the mid-2000s, I think you're, you'd be excused for dropping out for a while. But the newest album, this song is off the newest album, and it's, um, it's worth listening to. So revisit it if you're skeptical. I, I hear you. But. Pieces fall in place, and the rain 
softly kisses us on the face Anywhere means we're running We can sleep and see them coming We can drift and call it dreaming We can weep and call it singing Where we break when our hearts are strong enough We can bow cause our music's warmer than blood We can see enough to follow We can hear when we are hollow We can keep the light we're given We can lose and call it living Where the sun isn't only sinking fast And every night knows how long it's supposed to last Where the time of our lives is all we have And we get a chance to say can have mine and say it's here where pieces fall in place we can fear Cause the feeling's fine to betray Where our water isn't hidden We can burn and be forgiven Where our hands hurt from healing And we can laugh without a reason Cause the sun isn't only sinking fast Every moon and our bodies make shining glass Where the time of our lives is all the love you've left behind you can have mine you can have mine you can have Thanks so much, Neil and Peter. Um, it is so good to see all of you. I honestly thought maybe five of you would come out in the really cold weather. So um, thanks for busting this pastor's yeah, assumption. Um, so last week, if you were with us or if you weren't, um, was Epiphany. And we celebrated Epiphany by looking at the wise ones from the East and talked a lot of how through the star, through the light, God with the wise ones and Jesus and Jesus' family really began a new way of kinship. And so for this epiphany season between now and the start of Lent, we are looking at different gospel texts 
of Jesus and kind of how these texts, um, what they reveal to us about kinship, um, where perhaps we really resonate and feel akin to the text and where maybe we're a bit more uncomfortable and why. Um, and so we're going to do that tonight with the baptismal text, and we'll come back and have a dialogue. But before we do that, we're going to pass the piece quickly. If you are new to us um, or maybe want to know more about us um, or aren't on the pub group listserv or something that Ben mentioned or the table group that Elizabeth mentioned, um, we have yellow cards in the back that you can fill out um, just so we can have some of your information and you can let us know what kind of things you would like. If you want to be on the pub group listservs, table groups, things like that. Um, that's something that you could do during passing of the peace. Or you can just talk to one another. That's also fabulous. Um, Sarah Burch made some yummy snacks in the back. Um, so grab a snack and some water, and we'll quickly pass the peace and be back in just a moment. All righty. If you all... Okay, if everyone would sort of work their way back to the middle. Whoa, things got really quiet quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel really silly also doing a dialogue in uh, mittens, but it's probably going to happen. So um, a perk of lupus is my body. Uh, my hands and my feet do not warm up really well. It's so whenever it's really cold like this. I just have these. Um, so I'm probably gonna keep them on. So yeah, you all probably didn't even notice. I'm just self-conscious about wearing mittens. But anyway, so we are gonna dive in with our text for tonight, the baptism of Jesus. Um, and Will is actually gonna read it because part of it was left off. Um, and so Will Rodenheiser is gonna yep. take it away. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be this Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be the slave and untie this sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with now 21 and 23. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Thanks so much, Phil. So kind of in a word or a phrase, um, what immediately sticks out to you about this text? Or is it old hat? You've heard the text of the baptism of Jesus a lot. <laughs> I didn't realize there were multiple people being baptized. Yeah. That kind of stood out. Yeah. For me too, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. That Jesus is baptized in Luke's account um, with a bunch of people. Yeah. I find God says to us that we're his sons and daughters. Yeah. But we're God's sons and daughters too, right? And it's sort of interesting thinking about how Luke, right, this, you are my beloved and who I am well pleased. Um, because in Luke's gospel account, Jesus is surrounded by a lot of people 
it's really interesting to think of how those people heard those words and um, then and now and how we are included in being God's beloved sons and daughters. God calls Jesus out as his son yeah. at this point and speaks directly to yeah, him. Yeah, speaks directly to Jesus. Where do you all see kinship, like buddings of kinship in this text? It's a Trinitarian. Got some Trinitarian. Look at you. Yeah. Um, I still haven't read the lesson plan. But yeah, that there's a, there's this very direct implication of the Trinity and the interrelationship within those God. Very true. You should go teach the kids next week. Sounds like you have a good. Yeah, you got a you got a lot on the Trinity. No, that's so true. So for me, like um, Aaron, what initially um, struck me about this text is that Luke, the gospel writer of Luke, makes it a point to say, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized, it struck me because there's no special ritual designed just for Jesus. He stands in line with others, patiently waiting to be baptized. Um, Jesus' baptism in Luke's gospel does not set him apart from the people, but rather baptism underscores, I think, the willingness of Jesus to belong to the actions of the larger group. Um, Because in Mark's baptismal story, it's just really quick. It's immediate, right? Like the entire gospel of Mark, it's all about immediacy. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's really focused in on the discourse, the theological discourse between John the Baptist and Jesus. And in John's gospel, baptism, the baptism of Jesus is kind of skirted around because God forbid that Jesus be anything other than divine in the gospel of John. But in Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel, we get kinship, right? Jesus being one with people. Jesus was one with the crowd. He participated in the same practice as them. He went into the same water as them. But why? Of this text, um, Barbara Brown Taylor says, why does Jesus come to us where we are over and over again when he could save himself the grief, the pain, the death, by insisting that we come to him where he is. Because Jesus loves us, that is why. And because Jesus is unbelievably pleased with us and because he has come to lead us through the waters of life and death into life eternal. It has never been his style to shout directions to us from some safe place of his own. He has always led us from within our midst, joining us in the water, in the mud, in the skin to show us how it is done. If Jesus had not been baptized, now that would have been sin for him if he had chosen to separate himself from us as he had every right to do, but he did not. He took the plunge right along with the rest of us, and so it came to pass that he who was without sin was baptized in the river Jordan to avoid the sin of standing apart from us. And because he took the plunge with the rest of us, we too hear God call us beloved. So in um, thinking about baptism and how we are akin to this text or not or feel uncomfortable, 
Um, I kept on thinking about this story of a woman named Fayette that um, I have heard about a long time ago. Um, and Fayette is, was a woman who had um, mental illness. She had a chronic rheumatic disease. Um, she didn't have stable housing, but she went to Hopsom UMC in Nashville, Tennessee. And this congregation is known to be, um, have just as many folks with PhDs in power in that community as um, to have persons who are homeless and economically insecure. And one parishioner always says, <laughs> we have those of us who are crazy here and those of us who think they're not, but really they are too. Okay, so this is the church that Fayette came into and Fayette joined the new member class and in the new member class they talk about baptism and the pastor would describe baptism as the holy moment when we are named by God's grace with such power that it can't come undone. And Fayette was taken by this. And the story goes that during the class, Fayette would ask again and again, and when I'm baptized, I am. And the class would respond with this powerful truth for her. Beloved, precious child of God, and beautiful to behold. Oh, yes, she'd say. And then the class could continue. So on Fayette's baptism, after she had been immersed and had come up out of the water, Fayette screams to the entire congregation, and now I am, and the entire church yelled, Beloved, precious child of God, and beautiful to behold. Oh, yes, she shouted, and then began dancing. Two months after her baptism, um, Fayette was brutally attacked on the streets. And so the pastor and some other congrega congregants um, who had been with her in the new member class came to see her in the hospital. And when they came up to her room, they saw her in the mirror reciting over and over and now I am beloved, precious child of God, and, and, and she couldn't say the last part. And then she paused and said, but I know God is still working, and if you come back tomorrow, I'll be beautiful too. But sometimes if I'm being honest, it is hard for me to not become jaded by this type of deep kinship to baptism and how baptismal waters and Jesus' baptism unfolds and opens up in us and transforms us in such powerful ways, like in Fayette's life. It's hard, I think, to not turn a skeptical eye toward this powerful story even the realities of Emmanuel, God with us, still moving, as Ben talked about, the Trinity still at work, the Spirit still ever-present with us and within us. It's hard to see that sometimes as a sign of deep kinship. And we, as recipients of beloved status, when the world feels far too complex and in some ways hopeless beyond beloved communion, 
I mean, my God, Fayette had more than her fair share of pain and sorrow and hardship and was violently taken advantage of. And yet there was still a reclaiming of kinship for her through those baptismal waters. But I want to hear from you. Fayette felt akin to Jesus in a really powerful way. The people that gathered with Jesus by the river felt akin to him. How do you feel akin to Jesus being baptized as one with the crowd? And how it transformed those lives down by the river and transformed Fayette's life. And I'm pretty sure it probably transformed some of ours. How do you feel akin to that? Or perhaps, how do you not feel akin? Or where do you, are you like having some resistance and wanting where you're a little uncomfortable? I would love um, for us to talk about this type of kinship. But yeah, take it away. I feel conflicted um, just because um, in certain spaces that I've been in, um, baptism appears to be, uh, it's held as a privilege. Yeah. It's held as a, uh, you know, it's, it's almost reserved mm. for those who can do themselves mm. um, yeah. to be worthy of baptism. Yeah. Um, so it's almost can be held hostage and it's not readily accessible yeah. for everyone. Um, and so having been baptized, uh, maybe in that in that space or a space similar, it, it kind of has left me just yeah wishy washy about it. It's kind of yeah. like you know, it sure the story is beautiful, but like yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like, but what does it mean if part of reclaiming kinship is doing the work to break down these walls of exclusion, right? and like holding baptism as set apart and only for a certain few? I don't know. Like, what if that's part of the work? Um, because in doing, like in reading commentaries and things about um, sort of John the Baptist baptisms, right, and who John was attracting, right, and kind of who would have been with Jesus in these baptismal waters. Um, it wasn't necessarily, I think, the people we think it probably would be, right? Or the church is sort of like, thinks that it might be. Yeah, yeah. Others, where do you feel akin to Jesus' baptism and baptism in general or not? Yeah, Joel. I was, I was actually thinking about something that was like, actually like almost the exact opposite of what he's saying, because mm -hmm. I come from a tradition where infant baptism is normal. And yeah. so because of that, Baptismal liturgy does not ask the baby whether it's been reading or whatever. And so, like, the entire thing yeah. is about the parents' responsibility, the sponsors, godparents' responsibility, and the congregation's responsibility yeah. to a new member of the community. And I think, um, I think that, that that approach really highlights how it just, it just really highlights the responsibility of everybody else yeah. for somebody's membership in a community rather than their own membership. Yeah. And even the, um, the two, you know, good long time since I've been a Lutheran or 
Episcopalian adult baptism. But I'm pretty sure that like the, the adult the adult um, litany liturgy for that, you know, it does ask the adult, you know, to like affirm some things that are, are part of our confirmation service normally. But like the stuff about the community is still like fully yeah, part present. of that. Yeah. And, and so this that that sort of atmosphere where like the belonging is not it's not isolated, right? It's not individual. We belong together to one another, to God. It's this communal mm -hmm. belonging, which I think, yeah, I think the Lutherans do it really well, right? And the Episcopalian, just kind of the liturgy of like, this is not an individual act, but a communal one. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, in the back. I, I was brought up in kind of a fundamentalist, conservative, Pentecostal mm -hmm. church, and uh, uh, this church was not affirming of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, baptized by my grandfather in a river. Mm -hmm. And I went into it with full heart and mind. And I believed that when I would come out of the water, my homosexuality mm -hmm. would have been washed away mm -hmm. because it was a sin. Mm -hmm. And when it wasn't, I believed what I heard was that I was chasing like I wasn't, mm -hmm. I was living in sin, and I couldn't ever explore my own possibility of having a meaningful relationship mm -hmm. and be a member of the church. Mm -hmm. And it chased me away from church. Mm -hmm. So now, years later, as I'm learning that I can be true to myself in how God made me, which is a homosexual. Mm -hmm. But also, I can be a child of God who has a relationship with my Lord and a church. And getting that community that's affirming and accepting, I, I'm coming to look at my own baptism as a confirmation that when I came out of that water and my sin was washed away and my homosexuality wasn't, that that must not be a sin inherently. And um, I, I'm very grateful that I've, I've found myself a church body that, that affirms and, and uh, allows me to explore a deeper relationship with, with the God of my understanding, and, and that's a, a great gift, and I'm, I'm really grateful I've found it before it was too late. Thanks so much. So how do you all think, sort of with all our complex, conflicted, painful um, experiences and thoughts around baptism, as well as really hope-filled um, understandings. Like, what do you think it would mean if we were to take this baptism of Jesus? The really what we have is Jesus was with other people, Oh, I can't do one, two, three with mittens on. Okay, I gotta do. I was like trying, and I was like, oh man, I can't. Thank goodness these have little. <laughs> but right, so like what would it mean though if we were to take this text uh, and to take Jesus' baptism and Luke's telling of it, that what Luke really wants us to know is that Jesus was with people, and that not only Jesus, but all of us are God's beloved, and that that's the heart of baptism 
is for people to remember that and to remember that the power of baptism and the power of that grace can't be undone. How then might that, might that truth and understanding um, change how we think about kinship or maybe even how we choose to relate and be in connection with the baptismal waters themselves? Um, if we had a more robust, um, beloved at the heart of it understanding. That reminds me of like just how different it was when John the Baptist came on the scene. Yeah. Of like how refreshing, like you can think about like him just coming out of nowhere and going, you know, this is a new practice. It's just like, you know, as soon as he was like, this is a startup and like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the new thing. And, you know, I can, I can imagine some people were doing it just because it was new and fresh and big. But, I mean, that kind of transformation to me would be, um, it would just be a refreshing and um, almost renewed, you know? It, it, it would almost be like, you know, we could wipe away the sins of baptism's past, I don't know. <laughs> it's just kind of, you know, yeah. That's how, that's what it made me feel, yeah, thinking about it. of what God is, is doing in our life, you know, that prevenient grace that God has loved us before we were even made. Um, and, and that kind of brings me along to thinking about baptism being a recognition of uh, and bringing us into a relationship with God and, and kind of displaying that and honoring that and, and displaying and showing the way, thing, the way the world is supposed to be, um, the way that we're supposed to be in relationship with God. Um, and I think that's what kinship is about, is, is, is people being together, these table groups are sitting in this space, that kinship is about being the way that we're supposed to be, without the anxiety or the competition or whatever, you know, whatever that kind of pulls us and makes it, makes it hard to be together. Um, kinship, true kinship, is, is about kind of letting that stuff go um, and just and letting down the guard and being, being yourself and being honest and being... Um, you know, being who we who we want to be, and who and who and what God wants for us in our life too. Thanks for that. I think great baptism at its um, most profound reminds us of that and tells us of that tr- right in a in a I don't know if new way is the right word, but in a way that. Um, catches a part of our being that it hadn't before, right? Yeah. Thanks for that. Others, how do you feel akin or not? Or I'm really intrigued, too, of baptism as a practice of reclaiming kinship, but what might be some other practices that come out of baptism or just a radical reclaiming of kinship in the world that we are living in? Um, That 
we need, that our neighbors, our world, that we need to be a part of. Um, no, uh, one thing that I like about John the Baptist, even though it's really hard, is um, you know, he came preaching repentance. And um, he said the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. And back in the day, you know, baptism, instead of a salvation prayer, you know, where you bowed your head and you prayed a prayer and you got baptized, and it was a symbol that your old self had died. And when you give up your old self, I mean, one of the interesting things, and probably, probably the most challenging thing about the gospel for me, is Jesus' command to repent of, like, unforgiveness and, like, everyone. He doesn't really, like, in his commands to forgive, like, he doesn't really say, like, but, you know, if he did this, you know, then you really don't have to forgive, and, oh, I can understand how this happened to you, and so you don't have to forgive. That's probably the most challenging thing about the whole, the whole Bible to me. I mean, there's a lot in there that's challenging, but um, that, like, we gotta let go of all of it, and then once you give up your old self, you give up everything that keeps you from loving other people and receiving the love of God and being loving to your neighbor and loving God with your whole heart. And um, that, like, it's like you enter in through the waters of baptism and then you come into this place where you're committed with your whole being to loving other people with your whole heart. And I think that's where kinship can really take place. I mean, if you're still going to be vengeful or murderous or violent, you can't really be in kinship relationships with other people. You have to change first. Um, that's just that's just my uh, Thanks, Brian. As you were talking, um, what it means to be in kinship relationship. Um, something that's interesting about Luke's gospel and this telling of the baptism is that what the lectionary cuts out is that Luke makes it a point to say that John the Baptist actually wasn't present for the baptism, right? So the verses that are cut out, John the Baptist is in jail. So, it, so the question becomes, who then baptized Jesus, right? And so I wonder, going back to you of yes, right, what Jesus preached and of forgiveness, and sometimes it's so hard, and it's like, how can we do all these things immediately I find it really powerful, though, that it was probably a person in the river who had just been baptized, who probably hadn't gotten it all figured out yet, right? Who hadn't repented of everything just yet, was in the water and is the one who baptized Christ. And so I wonder if that, too, is a, just kind of for all of us of um, working through repentance and repenting, but also... We don't have to be perfect before we can be in kinship with one another, in kinship with God. Um, anyway, I just always kind of love that, that like Luke makes it a point to say John was in jail. So then it, you know, everyone's like, who baptized Jesus? And nobody really knows. But I think it was somebody already in the river. Any other thoughts about how you feel akin or not to baptism and kinship? and how this practice might still change our life and way of being kin to one another.
I think one thing I think about is how baptism is practiced here, and we have a range of options. Yeah. Yeah. So some people might baptize their child, and others might do a dedication, and, and others are waiting until the kids are of an older age or they have adults. So we so in our time here, we've seen a range of that. But what's been consistent is um, either families, like wider families, coming for those events. And so for a lot of you, I've met your wider families through baptism. And that has sometimes been awkward. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this recently. Uh, you know, it's sometimes awkward because, I don't, you know, those families, a lot of us come from more conservative backgrounds. And I think some of those families aren't quite sure what to make of this and um, another time, you know, I think of Ben, you know, like the decisions he was making around it, he could not make it better for himself, but it, it had to do with, with family and coming from a Baptist background and, and markers around who is family and who isn't. And, um, and some of those were probably less complicated, you know, than uh, a great child. Think of the Eferds, it's great to meet their families there, and then again at, at, at Dave's uh, uh, birthday. So I think there's a range, but what it's usually meant is, you know, wider family coming into this space and into this community and, and folks having to kind of deal with um, their belonging to this community and, and what that means for the people that they've called kin before. Um, so I don't know if there's a takeaway from that, but it's something that, you know, that, that comes to mind as I think about baptism in this community is it's a space where people are often thinking about who their, who their biological family is and what form them, and then also, I think probably the takeaway is experiencing this place as a true uh, family and place where they found kinship. Yeah, so true. And I think it always, baptism, some days at Emmaus Way always remind me, I cognitively know that we all come from somewhere, right? But whenever you're meeting families and meeting these people that have so shaped who we are and who, who we want to be and who we don't want to be, right? You can't, um, we as a community can't as easily dismiss others can either, right? Um, which I think, yeah, happens on Baptism Sunday. I think the thing for me about uh, where I feel most akin to this text or to baptism um, in general is that I really love Anne Lamott's reflection on water that started our call together. And what she says of baptismal waters, and she, um, she says we're agreeing to do something that's a little sloppy because at the same time it's also holy and absurd. It's about surrender, giving in to all those things we can't control. It's a willingness to let go of the balance and decorum and get drenched. And I think that sloppy, little bit absurd, being willing to let go, at the heart of that's not just baptism, but kinship, I think, right? Of like really being in relationship with one another. Um, it's not always pretty, right? To go back to Brandon, when you're inviting family in <laughs> to this Emmaus way and are like, oh dear goodness, right? Like what is, <laughs> what's gonna happen? Um, it's not always easy or 
I mean, it is a little absurd, right? How we do church and how we believe that we are intimately connected and one and important in one another's life. Um, we are in a church where you can go and sit in the back and not be seen, right? We're going to see you and say, hey, the moment you walk through those doors, like, you are a part of us for however long you are here. Um, and I'm a person who likes control. I was terrified to get baptized because I knew I would not have control going down into the water. I wanted control so much, I, like, tried to push my dad. So, like, of course my dad, like, right, baptized me. But I, like, tried to push him. And y'all see my dad. He's a large man. Like, he is not tiny. And I was trying to, like, push him so I could, like, put myself in the water and not my father as a nine-year-old, right? I like control. And yet this text... Um, reminds me that maybe it's all supposed to be a little absurd and maybe this practice is supposed to be sloppy rather than exclusive right maybe it's a place where we invite all the people in um, maybe at the heart right baptism like it's okay if you baptize an infant or you Believe in believer's baptism. All is welcome. Um, but I think what's important, as I was reflecting on this text, um, I really like, uh, in the past and another life, I really enjoyed reading Near Eastern, like ancient mythologies, and kind of reading about them. And as I was thinking about Jesus going down into the river with the people and the masses, I thought about how there's this near ancient uh, like Eastern mythology that says that it is when you enter into the water that the spirits of God and the spirits of your kin are there with you, carrying you across to the other side. All you have to do is simply get in. So I kind of wonder if maybe that's what kinship's about. All we have to do is simply get in. But thanks for talking about baptism. Next week we're talking about Jesus' return to Nazareth and how he walks through the people, like quite, like he just quite literally, maybe like ghost through them. Um, it's a really fun text out of Luke 4. And yeah, what returning home to a place where you are different, um, what that's like, and how that complicates kinship. So that's what we're up to next week. But Neil and Peter, take it away. <clears throat> um, so this, this next tune is a song that I wrote and perform with Peter in our band called Infielder. Um, <clears throat> so I, I wanted to write a song about... Uh, floating plastic trash islands in the ocean. Maybe you guys have heard of this. Like, they, like, collect out there. I, th I just thought that would be, like, funny. Um, like, in a dark dark humor kind of way. Uh, and kind of through twists and turns, the song ended up being a little bit more than just funny. Um, you know, thinking about 
are uh, going into the water as our ancestors, well, increasingly going into the waters is also tiny pieces of plastic that are being broken down into the ocean and that we then consume and becomes part of our body too. And so in, in some way, that's a kind of perverse communion uh, that we're all participating in to whatever degree. So can we find redemption in that? Probably. Um, and thinking about that and kinship doesn't always seem obvious. It's uh, absurd. There's never a good time for it. And so the bridge of this song kind of riffs on that. Um, and so I'll, I'll just sing it real quick because it could be a good spot for folks to jump in if you want to. The rest of it's probably kind of hard to hang with, but um, the bridge goes. To the eye, it's nev never the right place or time. It's imperceptible to the eye. It's never the right place or time. It's imperceptible. If you want to go up there with upper registers with me, you're welcome to join the party up there. Um, I'll also ask for your forgiveness in advance. I usually play mandolin on this song, so we'll see how my guitar chops are. I wrapped up all my strange dreams in clear plastic memory Safe for the next few centuries Where the bad times that brought me to my knees I'm not the only one who's losing sleep From the storm drains to the floodplains forgets the mixing bowl it's good it's true for all you know an endangered beast will die in its tracks that's water to wine that you can't get back from the sand dunes of the north woods to the smoke plumes of corpus It's imperceptible to the eye 
It's never the right place or time It's imperceptible to the eye It's never the right place or time It's imperceptible to the eye It's never the right place or time It's imperceptible to the eye It's never the right place or time imperceptible to the eye it's never the right place or time it's imperceptible it's beauty in its darkest form like a bombed out arts and crafts store we'll make our way through the null and the void and do as anyone would expect yeah we'll pick through the shit and take anything left from the desert to the delta and out to the pacific where the parts per million are easily ingested Thank you. Okay. So uh, I'm finding it to be my Emmaus Way tradition to end on a Tom Waits song. Uh, <clears throat> thinking about uh, public transportation, there's kind of a kinship there. If you guys have ever been down to the Durham Central Station, it's it's bumping. You kind of you're all in it, you're all in it together. Uh, so here's a here's a Tom Waits take on that. Oh, uh, and then the chorus, I'm, I'm mixing it up a little bit, and uh, it's another good spot to jump in. It goes, uh, we're just going to go down, 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 down where the train goes slow. So that's the, ref the refrain. There's a place I know where the train goes slow. Sinners can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a river by the trestle, down by Sinner's Grove. Down where the willow and the dogwood grow. It's down, down. You can hear the whistle, you can hear the bell From the halls of heaven to the gates of hell There's room for the forsaken if you're there on time Yeah, you'll be washed of all your
your sins and washed of all your crimes if you go down, down. There's a golden moon that shines through the mist And I know that your name will be on that list There's no eye for an eye, no tooth for a tooth I saw Judas is scared, carrying John Wilkes Booth If you go down, down If you live in darkness, if you live in shame, all the passengers will be treated the same. Old Humpty Jackson and Jip the Blood will sing. Charlie Whitman's on the Dillinger's wings and they're going down, 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 down where the train if you've lost all your hope you've lost all your faith i know you will be cared for and i know you will be safe all of the shameful and all of the whores even the soldier pierced the heart of the lord they're all down I've never asked forgiveness, never said a prayer. I've never given up myself, and I've never truly cared. I've hurt the ones who love me, and I'm still raising Cain. I've taken the low road, and if you've done the same, come on down, down. So let's go down, 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 down where the train goes slow. Well, thanks again, Neil and Peter. Looking forward to that trio. Okay. Um... So I don't know how many table invites I'm doing to Epiphany, but I had a thought today. Was it in the shower? I don't know. I said, well, what if we just ask what kind of kinship does this table suggest? And tonight I want to suggest that this table is inviting us to an immersive kinship. As Anne Lamott says, full immersion, elemental, wet, going under, surrender, getting drenched. And so what would a kinship that immersive look like? It might look like what Wendell Berry and Neil are both talking to us about, about some sort of reality where the things we put into the world are not just the things we put into the world, they're the things we put into us. We're all that 
that stuff might find its way back to connecting us, where we might participate in some holy and unholy communions more often than we would know or like, where our failure, our contingency, our permeability is not a thing of our own, but a thing that we share with each other. We might be so akin as to defy the notion that I get to separate myself from you. I think it might also be a place down there where the train goes slow, some place where the cost of being totally welcome will be that all the people are going to be totally welcome, where there's room for the forsaken, but all the passengers will be treated the same, and where we're going to slow down every once in a while to let those folks catch up. So don't get too ahead of yourself. I think that this table might be that sort of sloppy, out of control space. I think it might be speaking to our need, something beyond ourselves, some piece of God and each other that we'd prefer to do without, but that kinship is immersing us in. I think this table speaks to the ways that there are things that there are things we don't want to open ourselves to that maybe are the very things about the space that every single one of us needs. I think this table might be a space where our pieces fall in place, where we can weep and call it singing, where we can lose and call it living, because how far apart are weeping and singing and losing and living in most of our days after all? It might be a space where our loves and the great love dissipate into some greater, wilder thing in our midst every single week with each other. When we take the simple time and the simple practice to greet each other at this table and pour wine and pour juice for each other and hand each other a piece of bread or a gluten-free whatever's up there tonight. Crackers, very back to crackers. When we do these things, we're participating, we're practicing this immersive kinship that says a lot about what we need and a lot about what's available to us. So that's the table I invite you to tonight, to share and serve each other as we always do. We say that this, is, this table could not be more open. You could not be more welcome in this kinship in which you are already immersed. Welcome to the table.